And welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. This week we continue our Corey Stringer Institute Heat Stroke Education Series. This is part two of four, so if you missed part one, go back and listen to episode 38 with Dr. Douglas Casa, CEO of the Corey Stringer Institute and also survivor of exertional heat stroke. In episode 38, we not only learned about the history of the Corey Stringer Institute, but we also learned about the proper way to diagnose and treat the illness. In addition, we heard Gavin Class's amazing comeback story after he flatlined in the hospital and received a liver transplant due to complications from his heat stroke. Now, in episode 39, we hear from KSI's Chief Operating Officer, Dr. Rebecca Stearns. Dr. Stearns talks about the various educational resources KSI offers on multiple sports health and safety topics, and she shares her own tale of perseverance when she got back to running marathons after suffering from a DVT and pulmonary embolism. We also focus on the importance of hydration in preventing exertional heat stroke in this episode. One of KSI's interns and current LSU athletic training student, Savannah Knighton, also joined in on this interview, and she tells the tale of her brother Hunter's exertional heat stroke before we hear from Hunter himself, who is currently fighting for a starting position on the Miami Hurricanes offensive line. Dr. Stearns worked directly with Hunter to ensure his safe return to football down in the hot South Florida weather. Having the three of these very different perspectives makes for a very interesting episode, and I hope you not only enjoy their stories, but also learn about how the culture of toughness in sports can even affect some of the best athletic trainers in the game. So without further ado, we have Dr. Rebecca Stearns and Savannah Knighton up to bat with Hunter Knighton on deck. This is Kevin Som, you're listening to the Heads and Tails Podcast. We share stories of perseverance and inspiration in sports and in life. So I'm here with Rebecca Stearns and Savannah Knighton. They're both here at the Corey Stringer Institute. And could you guys just uh, tell us a little bit about what you guys do here uh, at the Corey, like what your role is at the Corey Stringer Institute? Mm-hmm. Rebecca, you want to start? Yeah. So um, I work here at the Corey Stringer Institute as the um, COO. So that basically means that I have my hand in almost everything that we do. Okay. Um, yeah, but operations, right? <laughs> yep. From a day-to-day basis, though, I work mostly on a lot of our educational platforms and initiatives that we have going on. And then I also work very closely with a lot of the research that we have. Okay. Lots um, of research going on mm-hmm. around here. Uh, additionally, I work with um, all of the consultation cases that come into us. So a lot of individuals who have had issues in the heat or any heat-related illnesses, and they're struggling to recover from those. Okay. Um, I will work with them directly when they come in to get a full background on them. We'll test them in our environmental heat chamber, and then also work with them to get them on a plan environmental back to recovery. Environmental heat chamber, that sounds horrible. <laughs> it's not pleasant. <laughs> no? <laughs> no. Hopefully I can go see that later. Yeah. Um, if that's okay with you guys. Yeah. Um, so, Savannah, you, you have an interesting take on this interview because your brother, Hunter, he suffered from exertional heat stroke. So what brings you here to the Corey Stringer Institute? Um, I'm actually an athletic training major uh, at LSU. And I applied for the summer fellowship they have here, and I was accepted. And I'm working mostly with Atlas, which is a secondary athletic trainers association, getting all the high school athletic trainers mapped and to have a database for all of them. And I'm also doing helping out on a lot of the research uh projects here like just contributing to different things with them awesome Uh, so you guys both played sports growing up or what's like your athletic backgrounds yep so for me um my background is mainly in running okay so I did um track and field and cross country all through high school and I also did that in college as well where'd you run at in college so I went to Duquesne University which is in Pittsburgh Pittsburgh. yep yep 
Yep. It's a cool name. That's why I remember <laughs> it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what about you, Savannah? Um, I played a lot of different sports. I was a cheerleader. Uh, I played basketball in high school, and then I also played softball. Okay. What was your favorite sport? Basketball, probably. All I right. like the team aspect. Okay. Good stuff. Um, what's your, Rebecca, what's your favorite memory from your sports career? That's a tough one. Um, I think there's a lot of um, challenges and things in my sports career that always spurred me on. So there's a lot of near misses and near hits that I had. So um, I, I think the biggest thing for my sports career is that I always learned to keep going even after I didn't make like my big accomplishment or right. my goal. And I think that's really what drove me forward and what gave me the the personality and the characteristics to persevere. So I that's what I appreciate the most about my athletic career. Hey, we're all about perseverance on the Heads and Tails podcast. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what about you, Savannah? Um, mine was it kind of – I use sports as like more of an extracurricular activity, but it definitely like fueled my passion for athletic training. So okay. that was kind of where, that Where it stemmed from? Yeah. Okay, did you guys suffer from any injuries during your sports career? Well, okay, so for me <laughs> – <laughs> It's a very tricky question. Um, I could go into um, a few different avenues with that one. Generally, during my sports career, I was very healthy. Um, I did have one um, hamstring strain in my senior year of college, which I ran through because I knew it was my senior year and I didn't want to miss anything. Right. And that was a horrible mistake because I paid for it later. In what way? In that um, the summer after I finished, I had to take a lot of time off okay. and just recover. Um, and then I also have an interesting whole side story of um, – having a very serious injury and coming back and, um, and running after that. But that was after my college career. So, well, yeah. Well, okay. So, your mom. Heads and Tails <laughs> podcast. Let's hear your tale. Yeah. So, um, a few years ago, it was only a few years ago. It was 2013. Um, I wound up in the hospital with, um, blood clots in my legs and also in both of my lungs. Doesn't so, sound like a good thing. Nope. So, um, I had, uh, DVTs and pulmonary embolisms. So I was pulmonary embolism. You could like die from that. Yes. Right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those life-threatening conditions. So um, I was in the hospital for four days. Um, they had to do surgery and some um, some procedures to make sure that they basically dissolved all the clots that were in my blood. And then from there, um, I've had a path of recovery. And about I'm, I know everybody thinks I'm crazy, but the biggest thing to get me back to life was um, getting back to the marathons that I had been running. So, so what kind of obstacles did the pulmonary embolism and the blood clots kind of present? Like, what was your recovery like from that? It was like starting from zero. I had no aerobic capacity. I had to start with walking and then slowly jogging and then running. Um, so the day I got back from the hospital, I signed up for the Chicago Marathon. Oh, wow. Well, that's uh, incentive to <laughs> get going. And eight months later, I ran it, and I got a PR in the race. Wow. So Impressive. I, so you have ran marathons before this mm -hmm. happened? Okay. Yeah. Um, but talk about a driving force to get your life back. Yeah. That's, that's pretty crazy. So what did you feel that you knew that, like, something was wrong? You just woke up one day? Like, did they say why this might have happened, or...? Yeah, it was about over the course of a week. Um, I had done a lot of traveling in that week, and I had started to get some calf pain. And then, like in a plane? Uh, no, not in a plane, but in a car. Okay. Yep. A lot of driving throughout the course of about a week, and uh, got some calf pain. It subsided, but then shortly after it subsided, when I was on a run, I just had shortness of breath. I wasn't able to really push myself. So that shortness of breath was at the... Yep. 
So the blood clot in your leg, did it travel? Yep. Okay. That's yeah, why. it went right to my lungs, um, which is why you shouldn't ignore your symptoms. And Whether it's a headache and a concussion or whether it's a pain in your calf mm-hmm. and your shortness of breath. Yep. And it got to the point where um, it was incredibly painful to just laugh, cough, um, and it got to the point where I was uh, hyperventilating. And so that's when I thought I should go to the hospital. Pretty good indication. Yep. Um, I'm glad that you're all right. And obviously, you. you're lucky to be here, too. Yeah. Yep. That's a pretty serious um, injury to overcome and then run a marathon. So yeah. do you think that setting that goal of the marathon as soon as you got back is was key to kind of your recovery? It was certainly motivation. Um, <clears throat> I think it was good to have something for me to aim at and to shoot for. I went into the race just saying it'll be an accomplishment just to finish it. Right. I didn't go into it thinking that I was going to run the fastest race of my life. That's awesome, though. But it was there, and I went for it, so it worked out. Cool. Savannah, what about you? Do you have any injuries during your athletic career? Um, or I was your brother have all of them? <laughs> I was actually really fortunate not to have any major. Like, I just had the typical, like, bumps, bruises, sprains, and right. stuff. But nothing to, like, set me back that I was missing practices or games or anything. Okay. But, yeah, mostly my brothers. I actually have three brothers, and they all have their stories for injuries <laughs> right. and such. So was there a specific moment that kind of sparked your interest in athletic training? Uh, after – I always wanted to go into sports medicine. I didn't really know what exactly. I even thought about, like, doctoring um, and stuff. But once I – after my brother's story and I found out, like, the everything that happened, I knew athletic training Oof. so I could prevent this from ever happening. And awesome. Um, we didn't talk about, Rebecca, what – got you into athletic training? Um, It was a combination of my athletic background. So in high school, I loved just sports in general. So I would do, you know, running, but I also did a lot of sports on the side as well. So I love participating in sports and I also liked um, kind of the medical field in general. So um, found out about athletic training. I was able to shadow a whole bunch of athletic trainers and that really led to my interest in then love of athletic training. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, so you guys, athletic careers both ended at some point in time. Um, Rebecca, you want to start off by talking about like what your transition to life after sports was like? Yeah, it was tough. So, um, after college I was a little burned out and, um, and so I took some time off, but then I got into marathon running, which was different enough that, um, you didn't feel like you were doing, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it was that made you burned it, out. No, no, it wasn't like the organized sports. You have to be there at a particular time. Someone's oh, okay. telling you the exact workout you have to do. I could just go out and run and do you take think? the enjoyment from that. Yeah. So, um, I think that that has given me a different appreciation for it. And, um, so that's why I, I do continue to run today. Awesome. Mm-hmm. What about you, Savannah? Um, it was it was difficult in finding things to do, but then once I figured out, like, with athletic training that I'm going to still be with all with, with the sports, yeah. practices, treatments, everything, I found, like, I was okay with it because I still could participate in a different aspect of the sports. A new purpose of sorts. Mm-hmm. Cool. So when did you get involved with the Corey Stringer Institute, and can you kind of – I guess we already talked about your role, but when did you kind of get involved with the organization? And we'll start with uh, Rebecca. So I started um, – right as uh, KSI was getting started because I did my graduate work here at UConn. Okay. So you from the area or? No. Um, I just came to UConn for my master's and I ended up staying for a PhD and a postdoc. So. Jeez, very educated <laughs> people around here. So uh, it was during my PhD years that um, KSI f- first was formulated 
and the idea came about. So I was able to get involved from the very beginning and see it grow from the ground up. Did you ever experience, uh, not maybe yourself, but in your running career, uh, anyone that suffered from heat stroke? You know, not during um, my career before I started working here or doing my graduate work at University of Connecticut here. Um, I hadn't really seen heat stroke prior to that. I had certainly seen some heat illnesses, but not to the severity that you would have with a heat stroke victim. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of talked about this with you, Savannah, that it was kind of your brother's <laughs> influence possibly. Um, but maybe it'd be, this is a good time to talk about your brother's story. Um, so can you kind of take us through his uh, injury with um, ex- yeah. Ex- yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, exertional uh, heat stroke? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, so it was uh, February 24th, uh, 2014. And, and he uh, played at the University of Miami, right? Mm-hmm. So that's big time college football there. Yeah, and he went he went to the trainers um, complaining of being sick and such. And Wait, one second. Don't you guys hate being called trainers? Yes, you have to say athletic trainers. Athletic, athletic trainers. trainers. <laughs> Come on, even I know that. <laughs> um, he went to the athletic trainers complaining of being sick. Uh, he had called my dad earlier that week, uh, weekend, just like complaining of like just like a typical like uh, cold, and he w- took some medicine just for like the like a sore throat. And he went to the trainers, uh, athletic trainers, <laughs> and he. Um, he said that he wasn't feeling well and that like just to and uh just to like check up and make sure he was okay to practice and they just told him to go out and try and just see if he could go do it so he did the um it was a workout so like weight room lifting first and then it was like uh outside uh what's the word like a regular practice it wasn't a regular practice it was um Preseason conditioning. Um, like conditioning. conditioning that's okay. the word. <laughs> uh, it was a conditioning workout. So he did the um, inside workout and he threw up and he went back to the trainers and they said, just go out and see how you do. And he, they have eight drills. Um, and he did the, he remembers the first two and then he completed all eight um, until they pulled him out with the eighth one, but he doesn't remember any of the other ones. Um, so he was pulled out eventually because he wasn't doing the drill correctly. And he was pulled to the sidelines, and the coaches just saw him. And then he cl- uh, he grabbed the – I think it was the coach at the time, him, and then collapsed to the ground, and that's when the so athletic trainer the came. central nervous system. I'm, I'm learning all about heat strokes today, so I'm starting to kind of put the pieces of the puzzle together. Mm-hmm. Um, so when did you, as a, as, a, as a sister of the athlete, hear the news of your brother and what was kind of the – prognosis and uh, my mom actually texted me I was in class I was in high school I was a junior and my mom texted Text, me not a call. well she told me to call her but I was in class I was like and she's like emergency call me and I was like okay but I'm in class like I didn't know what was going on I just didn't think anything of it and she said she texted me she's like Hunter uh, collapsed at practice and was seizing we're headed to Miami and that's kind of all I heard for most of the day because they were traveling and such. So I called – I had to tell my little brother um, after school that day, and we just went home, and we didn't really know much about it. And then I called my older brother, who was in D.C. at the time, and he was headed down there. He didn't really – he talked to my grandparents, but they still didn't really know much because they were all traveling. Um, so where are you guys from? I'm f- we're from Pennsylvania. Okay. So you guys made the trip down to Miami? Yes. And then um, after that – Eventually, my mom called me that night and said that he was in a coma. And at that point, we still – I didn't know that it was a heat stroke. Um, and I don't i don't think I really found that out till mostly after and once I got down there 
that I heard the athletic trainers talking like when they were in the room um, about it, like the symptoms and such. And um, so then me and my little brother got on a plane the next day and flew down there. And that's when I kind of was, we were all together. Okay. So what was his like original diagnosis? Did he have any, you know, organ damage or brain damage? You know, the the kind of, what what were the doctors saying? Like Um, what was his prognosis? I know kidneys, liver, like all the major organs were shutting down at the time. When my parents got on the plane, I know that his, he, uh, his kidneys were starting to like function again a little bit, which was really good sign. Um, but everything was shutting down from, for the most part. All right. Rebecca, can you kind of talk about the perfect storm that kind of led to, um, Hunter's exertional heat stroke and kind of, I don't know if you talk with the athletic trainers at Miami and kind of what, yeah, if you could kind of take us through the story from the athletic training perspective, that'd be, that'd be cool. Yeah. So, um, I know that this event happened in February. So, um, it was February of 2014. And, um, so obviously, um, if he had gone on break for the winter, uh, he wouldn't have been acclimatized to that environment. He also had expressed feeling sick, and um, so he had a fever that day, which gives you an automatically higher body temperature right. than everybody else. So you have a smaller window to work with in terms of what your body's to toler- able to tolerate in the right. heat. So, um, and from what I've learned today, when you acclimate yourself to heat, you sometimes even have a, a lower than ninety-eight degrees, you know, body temp- resting body temperature. So mm-hmm. the fever is the opposite version of that. Exactly. Yeah. So. Um, and also just a conditioning session too. So it, it's going to be a pretty intense workout. Um, and to end a workout with some intense conditioning, you probably already have an elevated body temperature on top of your elevated temperature from the fever. To end it with an intense workout like that can definitely put you at risk. So I think those were all the factors that really led to, to Hunter's heat stroke that day. All right. Um, so why should athletes avoid other than is fever the main reason why athletes should avoid playing sick or or it's the fever that would be the problem not like your body trying to fight something or right i mean if if you don't have a fever and you just have a cold and you're stuffed up you're probably you're not going to be at any any more risk than anybody else for a heat stroke okay so for that reason you know you could play but if you have a fever it's good to know you know that that means that's important and you should probably not play on that day okay um, so I kind of thought of like the warrior mentality when I heard of Hunter's story, like he's sick and he's trying to grind through practice and he just worked out, he's throwing up, he's doing all sorts of stuff. And the warrior mentality is also what almost killed me because I was trying to be a tough guy playing with the headache. That was really the symptom of a concussion. And I had other injuries that kind of led to my head injury. So I think I had like two <laughs> shoulder injuries that I was playing with. I'm like, I have nothing else to hit with but my head, I guess. So. <laughs> That's what I mean. Like, so what do you think the warrior mentality of sports has to do with, um, exertional heat stroke? And do you have any advice or maybe how this can be avoided? Right. I mean, it can be huge. Um, definitely there's a personality that can go behind somebody who can induce a body temperature that high in themselves, right? That external or internal motivation, but then you also have some external factors that can drive that even further. So somebody who might not be, um, innately at risk they might have a factor such as trying to make the team trying to make a position not get cut on a particular day they're going to be incredibly motivated 
to work really hard. And, and those individuals with that kind of setup and, and mindset are definitely going to be at risk. And they don't have the emergency brake to know when to stop. They just kind of nope. just keep. Or they can't say stop, otherwise they're out. Exactly. It's a, a tough dilemma that sports and injuries kind of, they don't mix well together. Yeah. Um, so what were, Savannah, you might want to be, be a good person to answer this question. So what were some of Hunter's obstacles uh, in coming back from, uh, on his way to recovery, I, I should say. I know definitely just getting back, that was the main thing. It was He wanted to play football. Yeah, again. he wanted to play okay. football. That was the driving force that made him persevere through everything. And it, I know it was a big trust issue that he would have to go back to play for the team where he almost died. Trust in what the coaches were putting them through, what the athletic training staff was, how they were overseeing him. What was the, the a- trust? The athletic training staff. Okay. Just trying to make sure that – he knew, like, if something were to happen again, were that, like, if they were be prepared. Right, uh, Rebecca. I think we forgot to talk about this. How did the athletic trainers kind of diagnose the um, exertional heat stroke in Hunter, and did they put him in ice immediately? Like, what were their first steps there? Right. So my involvement with this whole case really came after during his recovery. That's kind of where I entered in trying to help guide everybody with his recovery. So right. I actually did go down and visit at the University of Miami and work with him as they were bringing him back to do, practice. Do you guys usually, do you guys travel a lot to work with athletes or do they usually come here to U- the University of Connecticut? Most of the time we're, they're coming here to us for us to evaluate them. But even after he had already done that, I went down to help with the initial steps of, of back in, in, of putting him back into practice. Okay. So, um, so yeah, I think um, the big thing that came about in terms of acknowledging that he had a heat stroke was, you know, he was so close to the hospital that what essentially what happened is that he was transported immediately to the hospital. Um, and generally what we always say is, you know, you want to cool them on site first with cold water immersion. Right. Cause that is by far the most important thing you want to do when you have a heat stroke victim. So they're incredibly hot. Their body's essentially cooking. You want to cool them off immediately. Um, even if you get them to the hospital right away within five minutes, the hospital is normally not set up to treat them. So um, that delay in sort of the care can really dictate the outcome and the factors to returning to play. Right. And Dr. Uh, Casa told me about uh, Gavin Class's story, mm-hmm. and that was kind of the problem there, is that they had him in the ice, but then they transported him and took him out of the ice. That was kind of like the major mishap, I guess, with, yeah, with his. Yeah, he, he was still hot, yep. Um, okay, so how did – did um? I'm sorry, did Hunter ever get back to playing for the University of Miami? Yeah, he's currently playing now, and he, oh, awesome. he started last um, playing his first game was last season. Okay, cool. Um, so how long did it take between the time he had his heat stroke to getting back onto the field again? So it was February 2014, and he stepped on the field August of 2015. Yeah. So, so about, about a year and a half. About a year and a half. Wow, it's a long time. Um can you can either of you guys speak on to his like mental and emotional status, you know, during that that time? It was crazy. Like going seeing I hadn't seen my brother like recently before that happened because of um just with him being away at school and then going to see him after the difference emotionally and like mentally, it was insane to see the difference. Um Can you give like specifics like what he was doing, you know? At that point in time, that was different than his, his normal just behavior? Just, like, me- mentally, think, like, cognitively, everything was, like, for school-wise, it came harder to him. He was always, like, a really good student, and he's still a good student, but it's harder for him now um, to, like, things don't come as easy with, like, the school and stuff. 
and then like just mentally like frustration and stuff things like he'll um kind of snap quicker um is, his, like, is that still going on today or not not, no, not really anymore only during he, when he wasn't playing yeah like it was it was hard for him emotionally to because he came to Miami to be a football player and he was back to being a patient right and I'm sure he busted his butt to get to a scholarship to Miami and that's exactly big time that's like what dreams are made of there in uh in, in the football world mm-hmm. um so I'm, I'm sure you deal with that a lot Rebecca with the athletes is the the mental side of of uh the recovery definitely it's one of the biggest things um and when they come to us they're coming to us after an event that could have killed them and they're trying to make this huge leap back into high competitive athletics which is not that i mean those two things are really far apart from each other so um to see them you definitely see a mental change as they're progressing through you you see um that you know there's that doubt at first and there's that frustration that comes with not being able to do what they identify with and um, in Hunter's case, he had to come back a couple times for him to pass. Oh, really? Um, what we do is a heat tolerance test. Basically, we evaluate their body's ability to respond to exercise in the heat. And the first couple times, he he didn't pass it. In so, that he couldn't regulate his body temperature. Right. And is that a, that's a common thing after heat stroke? Um, if there's a delay in care in heat stroke, it's it's not uncommon to see that struggle. A lot of the times we see people who are immersed immediately um, after a heat stroke treated very, very aggressively, and they don't really have any complications. Okay. So um, in this case, we did see some, and, um, you know, every time he would come in, you know, he would make giant strides and gains, but if it, if he wasn't on the field, it wasn't enough. Right. And you could see that. That's a tough place to be in. I'm, I've been there at one point in my life, too. Um, that kind of leads me to my next question, especially in terms of football, and that's can brain injuries have an effect on even like being a risk factor for having exertional heat stroke because of the thermal regulation that's kind of dictated by your brain, right? Is that like a research thing? It's just a question that I kind of like thought of as I was reading his story. It's an awesome question, and I don't think we have the research yet to support that, but I think it's it definitely makes a lot of just natural sense. You know, everything that controls your body's thermoregulatory capacities in your brain. Right. And that sets the set point for everything else that your body does and how it responds. So um, certainly if, you know, there's a head injury history that could lead to other, you know, factors in terms of how your body's working. Right. And I was also thinking too, like, you know, if your organs are shutting down and stuff like because of this increased, body temperature it could be damaging your brain and is that part of the reason why they people can't thermoregulate themselves after this type of injury yeah definitely part of it um the organ damage is part of it and just while we might see that their their organ you know enzyme levels that we normally measure are back to normal we might not be able to detect something else that's going on right um same thing with the brain you know you don't know how the brain might have changed after that incidence in terms of how it responds to a heat load. So that we do see struggles in, in those patients um, that have, you know, serious injuries in any of those body parts. Are there like particular sports that you find that most exertional heat strokes um, happen in? And is it football or is it, it's football? Football is a big one. Um, And the other sports that we see a lot of heat stroke in are going to be, your um wrestlers 
because they're trying to cut weight. Dehydrated. And yeah. Yep. We're going to get and into hydration too. Yep. And then uh, runners, hot hot weather races. Okay. Yep. Um, it seems like it is like somewhat opposite ends of the spectrum, like for runners and wrestlers are kind of in the middle, I guess, mm. you know. Um, but I guess my, my question is in terms of hydration, like what should athletes be doing in terms like in regard to trying to prevent heat stroke both before activity, during, and then after? Like what kind of advice do you give the athletes that come in, into here? Hydration is, is definitely one factor, but by no means is it the only factor for heat stroke. Um, in terms of risk factors, hydration will definitely put you at a higher risk. So before going into a practice, you want to make sure that um, you're not thirsty, um, that uh, that you're peeing like a clear urine okay. as opposed to a darker urine. That old saying of, you know, you want your urine to look more like a, a lemonade and not an apple juice is definitely right. true. Um, and you can also monitor body weight changes during a practice session. If you just get a weight before and after, assuming you're not eating or going to the bathroom, that change in your body weight is what you lost in sweat. So you know what you need to replace. Um, is there like a special formula? I think there, I've worked in college football, so I kind of know the process of weighing the guys after practice to know how exactly, you know, how much Gatorade and water and whatever combination that is. Do you know it off the top of your head or? Well, we do have what we call like a sweat rate calculator. And sweat rate calculator. I'm going to try to link that up in the show notes for this episode. Yeah. And that'll help because um, every individual has a very different sweat rate. Some people may only sweat about a liter in an hour. Some people will sweat up to almost a gallon in an hour. So I think I was one of the galloners because <laughs> I, would, I would literally cramp up like every single game, no matter how much water I drank, no matter what I did. Yeah, for sure. So because of that difference, we can never say that one person need like that everybody needs just a set right. amount of water. So we always encourage people to calculate their sweat rate because that will tell you how much you lose every hour and then you can replace that accordingly. All right. Mm -hmm. Interesting stuff. Mm -hmm. So I know... Rebecca, you're in charge of a lot of the educational resources that are provided by the Corey Stringer Institute. Can you kind of talk about some of the stuff that you guys, or some of the information that you guys provide um, and the, where can people find them? Yep. So our website, it's just ksi.ucon.edu. That has a ton of resources in terms of documents that'll help you understand all the major conditions that could potentially present a life-threatening issue for any athlete. And then we go into detail on a lot of items such as um, how to do heat acclimatization, how to calculate your sweat rate. And we also highlight a lot of the policies that are currently in each of the states. So um, you can be aware of, specifically within the high school setting, what policies they need to be following. And um, if your state perhaps is lacking in the number of policies that they're utilizing, maybe that's something that um, you know, athletes and parents can encourage their school districts to adopt. Awesome. So Rebecca, now that we're wrapping up the interview here, um, what's your favorite part about being an athletic trainer? There's a lot of parts that I enjoy. Obviously you get to work with some, um, pretty incredible athletes. And I think the re relationship that you form with those athletes and the trust and the bond that you make with them is pretty incredible. And from my perspective with what I do now, and helping some of these athletes get back on the field after having such a catastrophic injury. I think that's the most rewarding part. Awesome. Savannah, although not an athletic trainer yet, correct? Mm -hmm. um, what are your goals in terms of becoming an athletic trainer? Is there a particular type or population of athletes that you want to work with? I don't have any specific populations. I know I definitely want to get my master's. And I'm even, so especially like having this internship, it's definitely 
made me think about even going into the research side now. Right. Rather There's than more possibilities than just, yeah, working with sports teams, right? Exactly. Good stuff. Okay, so Rebecca, um, in terms of the athletes that you've worked with so far, what characteristics do these athletes have that lead to the best recoveries, whether it's exertional heat stroke or whether it's a different type of injury? I think they all have a very solid goal in mind. They all have a very particular um, endpoint that they want to get to. And I think the biggest thing for the athletes that come in is realizing that it's going to take time. I always emphasize the fact that when you come to see me here, it's because you had a catastrophic injury and nobody bounces back from that in a day. Right. So I always try to emphasize. Patience is a hard thing in, in being mm-hmm. an athlete. You yes, know. you have to be patient. So if they can just stick with it, be patient and understand that the gains that we are seeing are definitely um, major and um, will eventually lead to them getting back on the field. That's that's the biggest thing I think they can do. Awesome. Um, all right, last question so for both of you guys. I'll start with Rebecca. Um, if you had a tattoo, one word on your forehead um, that you had to look at the rest of your life in the mirror, uh, what would it be? Um, so I think this gets back to the job that I have here at KSI and okay. what we deal with a lot and also my own personal history, but I always have this motto of just living life. Okay. So live life would probably be the motto because it would remind me every day that it's a gift and that you shouldn't take it for granted. It's true. And people like myself and people like you and people who have suffered life altering, uh, injuries. It's, a uh, definitely something that inspired me to even make this podcast. Savannah, what's your word? Mine would be uh, Keystone Strong. That was like my our little motto when my brother was in the hospital, uh, being from Pennsylvania, but also like this, he was a center, and that's like this Keystone of the line. Well, you're, you're in college, and the first thing that came to mind is Keystone Beer. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like you definitely are a college student. <laughs> but, okay. Awesome, yeah, there we go. So that would be mine. The Corey Stringer Institute has countless resources on their website to keep athletes safe, which include concussion, heat acclimatization, automated external defibrillators, and emergency action plan policies, just to name a few. Links to these resources can be found at ksi.uconn.edu or at headsandtails.org backslash podcast backslash 39. Before we hear from Hunter Knighton, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank all you listeners out there for your continued support and generosity because the Heads and Tails podcast is brought to you by you. If you enjoy the podcast, please show your support by sharing episodes with your friends and by visiting the newly added shop on our website, which can be found at headsandtails.org backslash shop. All profits from the shop items go towards travel and equipment expenses so I can continue to bring you all great tales and knowledge each and every week and we can keep athletes healthy and safe together. Lastly, make sure you stay up to date on all upcoming interviews by following us on Instagram at Heads and Tails. Heads is in multiple heads, the letter N and tails spelled T-A-L-E-S. Same thing goes on Twitter at a P-O-D on the end of the handle. And also like us on our Facebook page. Now we hear from current Miami Hurricanes offensive lineman Hunter Knighton. He might make you think twice before you train while you're sick. Well, let's let's not waste any more time. We'll, uh, so what, uh, what sports did you play growing up? So, uh, when I was little, I, I played soccer and, uh, baseball and basketball, switched to football in fourth grade. Um, and I played baseball and basketball up until high school. And then I played, uh, football and lacrosse through high school. 
All right, football axe combo. Yeah. Uh, can you give the audience kind of like a, a description? Because I guess these people are blind to what you look like, but I've heard that you're a very um, big or a large individual. So can you kind of give us your stats on, you know, how, how big you are and maybe some, some weights you throw around? Yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm 6'5", 295 currently. Um, when I was injured, I was about 300. And then I went down to about 240 after yeah. basketball. All right, that's a, a big decrease there. Yeah. Um, so in addition to your exertional heat stroke, um, what injuries did you suffer from throughout your athletic career? Um, yeah, I was really lucky. I didn't really have anything until my, my senior year of high school. I tore my labrum. All right, shoulder. Uh, yeah, in um, the first game of the season, my senior year, and uh, went to college with it still – Still not getting fixed, and I ended up getting it fixed my freshman year when I redshirted. Um, so that, that besides that and the heat stroke, that's pretty much the only thing. All right, so you never really like missed any time away from the game for like the torn labrum or anything? Um, not not really. I mean, I was out for two weeks when it happened uh, during that season, and then I was back. Uh, I played the finish the rest of the season, and then I had surgery of August. 2013 okay which was my freshman year of college yeah did i see um, that you went to the hunt school yeah yeah because yeah i'm from jersey so i know it's in princeton yeah. um so that is that when you got the surgery no i got the surgery my freshman year of college so okay I, I, I finished my senior year of high school and i actually i enrolled mid-year um at the university of miami in january after i signed um and i i did spring ball here and then uh, during fall camp, my freshman year, um, it was just that my shoulder my, uh, kept popping out of place and stuff like that. So uh, we ended up getting getting it fixed. All right, uh, that year. How was it after that? Like, how long um, were you out for? And I was out for from August to like December. Um, so I missed that whole season, and then I had just returned, uh, you know, full go right after our bowl game. So that was after Christmas. And then, so I was ready to start the off season program. That's really when I was like fully cleared and everything. All right. So what was it like kind of watching your team on the sidelines and not being able to really do much? Like how, what was your emotional or uh, mental state during that, that time? Like had you stay positive or however you handled it? Um, you know, that, that actually wasn't, it wasn't as bad because I expected not to play that year anyway. Yeah. Because I was, you know, un- I was undersized. Um, needed to get stronger in the weight room and stuff like that, and so I, I, I saw it, and I saw it coming a long way off. Like I had to, I had a torn labrum for about a year up to that point, so I really wanted to get it fixed. And then when I finally got the opportunity to get it fixed, I was kind of relieved. All right. Um. So, but then, then from there, you know, just really just having that goal of returning and 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 being able to to do what I came there to do. That was really what what drove me throughout, and you know just focusing on getting getting back to back to normal. Awesome. So, in addition to your your torn labrum that you were kind of dealing with, what was like the greatest obstacle um, in transitioning to Division 1 college football, especially at University of Miami? That's like as big time as you get. Yeah. Um I guess like just getting the speed of the game, um, you know, college football is a lot a lot faster than high school was. Um, so that was the biggest thing like Really, my spring, my first spring here, you know, it, it was me and another another uh, offensive lineman came in early, and we were so lost because the the speed of the game so fast. You know, you get up to the line, 
and they're hi- they're hiking the ball, but you know I'm still trying to learn the playbook and stuff like that. And right, yeah, the they're ready, but you're not. Yeah, yeah, you're trying to yeah, figure yeah. out who so, you got to block and stuff. Exactly. So uh, yeah, we're throwing into the fire early. So that was the biggest thing is just getting ready for the speed of the game and and you know slowing the game down for me. Uh, so what advice do you have for athletes who might be experiencing that? Like, what did you do to kind of counteract the effects of feeling like you're overwhelmed and the game's too fast for you? Like, how did you slow it down? Um, really just, just keep doing it. Um, you know, it's, it's all about taking the reps and yeah, repetition, you know, uh, film study too. That's uh, another thing that helps, you know, uh, just watching film so you know it in your head and then, when you're on the field, you kind of just apply it naturally versus having to think about it. But really, just getting out there, you know, your your first time, your first few practices, it's it's a, everyone's, you know, goes through the same thing. It's it's going to be fast, and you're going to be like, whoa, uh, you know, what the heck am I doing? So, uh, you know, after you get those first few practices in, then then you start uh, slowing the game down. All right, cool. Um, all right, you want to talk about your. Uh what led up to your exertional heat stroke? Like what year did you suffer that and yeah. kind of what led up to it? So, um, so I just, I just had come off of the, the shoulder, uh, injury. Um, so we were coming back, it was January 2014 and I, I was really, you know, ready to, to finally make my move and, and, and play. Prove yourself. So, yeah. uh, yeah, I, I gained, I was about 255 when I first came to Miami and I was up to 295 at that point, probably. Um, what kind of food do they got down there that yeah, you no, packed on all that pounds? Stuff in my face constantly, <laughs> <laughs> and in the weight room and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was really. I just challenged myself in the weight room uh, to do really well, and I, I was actually I was ranked as a, a, a number three offensive lineman in the on weight the, room on the depth chart or in the weight room. In the weight room, and then I was going to be the starting our starting center, who uh, he plays for the Giants now, but uh, no big deal. Starting center, he he actually was getting uh he had foot surgery so he was gonna be out for spring so i was gonna be the starter for spring ball at least all right um so you had a so lot of things going a lot of uh, things going for me going your way so you wanted to yeah. prove yourself even further um so what like so can you explain like what the like what happened during practice right so yeah so um right before spring ball the ncaa allows you to have uh coach-led workouts and most schools have their, their conditioning session um but it's not just straight running it, it's, it's drills and stuff like that um so every school does that we called it utah um, okay at miami uh with coach golden and uh you wake up at like five o'clock in the morning or yeah, four we, o'clock in the up, morning yeah we wake up at five um some days you lift before so you'd lift at like five thirty to six thirty, and then be on the field at six thirty, or you just go straight into it at five thirty. Um, and it's basically like eight stations, uh, like four minutes at each station, and it's all like com- competition stuff. So you're you're doing you know L drill and stuff like that, but you're racing a guy um, the whole time. And then okay. from that, they also they rank you, uh, you know, every day, and you. The whole thing was to get a black jersey. The black jerseys were the top guys, um, so I was always trying to get that. And, and that spring, I, I was I had a black jersey every day, up until the uh, that was the sixth one. No, sorry, fifth one was the day that uh, I had the heat stroke. 
Right. So it sounds like you got a lot of competition going and like, just like, yeah, like in any sport and any coach would do the same thing. Like you're incentivized to really like push yourself, obviously to, to get that black Jersey, like you were talking about. Um, but they also said that, um, they, as in your sister and Rebecca, were talking about how you weren't, you're feeling a little under the weather uh, on this particular day. Yeah. So, uh, that, that Sunday night, I started feeling like, um, you know, really bad, sore throat, coughing, stuff like that. And the whole time, I, 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 I thought I was like, oh, just a cold or whatever, I'll be all right. And then as the, as the night kind of progressed, I wasn't like, I still couldn't sleep. And, you know, I had taken some NyQuil and stuff like that. I, um, I was like, wow, like this is going to suck tomorrow. Not, not because like, like I, I was like, all right, I'll, I'll be able to go out there, but then I'm probably going to lose my black Jersey because I'm not going to be able to perform as well as I could have. Right. So that was my main thought at first. And then the next day I woke up and like, I was puking as we're driving to practice that morning at like five in the morning. Always a good sign. Yeah. So, <laughs> so at that point I, I went up to, we get, to, we get to the athletic center I go into the train. We walk through the training room first before the locker room. So I walk through the training room, and I told the trainer, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sick. Like I have a sore throat, and I, I threw up like this morning. Um, so I was like, I, I don't know what to do. And he's like, Well, here's a here's a throat washings, and just go see how you feel. Right. So, uh, so then that morning we had we had lifting. We had lifting before. Um, so we're going through the lift and uh, I, I didn't really even notice it, but my, my roommate who was in my lift group was like, dude, you're, you're throwing up. Like I'm on the bench press and I'm throwing up on myself. Um, <laughs> so he's, yeah. He's like, dude, you like, what are you doing? And I was like, I don't know. He's like, you know, he, he told me like wash my mouth out and stuff like that. He's like, dude, I want to bench yeah. on that thing. With, yeah, you've exactly. been on there. Get the hell out of so, here. <laughs> so that, you know, I, I tried to get a trainer, trainer's attention then. You know, I'm like, yo, like, come over here. And he walked over, and then there were some injured guys doing something. So he walked back. He didn't really, we didn't really, like, get the opportunity to communicate. And then the whole thing kind of wraps up, the, the whole lifting session. And we got to, like, put our cleats on and go, and go back and go outside. So that's when I go up to the trainers, and I'm like, you know, like, something's not right. I feel like that right yeah. now. And, um, you know, I was like, I can't do this. Like I shouldn't be doing this. And he's, and he's like, well, we'll just go try and, and see how you feel. And, um, you know, we'll make sure like everything's okay and whatever. And I was like, all right, if I do that, when I, and I, I didn't, I said this like not meaning actually die, <laughs> right. Like but, kidding. Yeah. But yeah, but I was like, all right, when I die, like pull me out of there. <laughs> oh my so, God. Yeah. I've said, a, I said a similar thing on the day that I almost died because my head was killing me so bad. I told my friends, I'm like, my like I'm probably gonna die tonight because my head hurt me so bad. But I like literally said that. So yeah. I think the message out there for <laughs> athletes is like if you have that feeling, even if you think you're kidding, you should yeah. probably be sitting out of whatever you're about to yeah, do. Exactly. Yeah. So that you know, um, there's a lot of missed signs there. You know, they didn't take my temperature or anything like that. I mean, I definitely had a fever at that point. Right. So if any athletic trainer yeah. is listening to this, and a, a per, you know any athlete that comes to you saying that they're not feeling well, I guess first thing would be take a temperature. Yeah, definitely. All right. Um, okay. So can you take us through the like, the practice? Like I, I don't know if you remember yeah. any of it, but can you talk about kind of like what what happened when you collapsed so, or? Yeah. So um, 
So we go out there, you know, there's eight stations, did the first two stations, and then... What were those? Do you remember? Uh, there was a drill. It was our... Um, it's like he had to go, he had to go, like, over and under these hurdles as part half, of, for the first half of the, the time, the four-minute period. Okay. And then the other half of the time, there's a, there's a rope that's about, like, four feet high strung between two poles gotcha and we had these sandbags and you had to to shuffle underneath of them like five ten yards right push the bag out and then he blows the whistle and you have to shovel back and it has to be all be in unison with the with everyone else that was kind of the big thing right and then and if you wanted like they'd be like no yeah, wrong yeah, exactly. again yeah they're running and, up yeah. downs <laughs> so yeah so that was that drill then the second one was like a uh, like a tire tug of war. You, you had partner matchups that day, so because everything's a competition, so they can rank you. And uh, so it was me versus my roommate uh, for that. And we were doing you did tire thing, and then they have also had these you know those harnesses where you're pretty much you're tied together, and it was, it was trying to pull the other guy. Across oh, trying to pull each other, yeah. Yeah. Um, so and then every time you lose like one of those competition ones, you had to do five up downs. So like the goal is. One, not to lose because you don't want to you, you want to get the black jersey, but then you know conserve you energy win, by yeah, the more you're winning, you're less yeah, the less energy you're doing. Right. So um so yeah, so then I finally go we go to the third station, which is like a figure eight drill, uh, with the hoops, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yep. Yeah. So they're um, like big uh, they're like thin pipes that are yeah, the big, circled big, they, they're like hoops, big circles. Yeah, and then like one person starts like you know, a quarter circle ahead of you and you try to chase them. That was right. what we were doing. And um, so I remember going against my my roommate and I remember the one rep, I won the first one. And then the second one, I come in, I'm coming around and then like, like, like a movie cuts, cuts the black. Like I was in like a dreamland. Like I, I, I don't, you I don't, don't remember, remember that part that happened that day. Damn. So, can you like retell the story? What, yeah, yeah so like happened, through other people. Yeah. So from other people, what I've gathered is, um, we we finished. I I we had five more stations. So I did all those five stations. Everyone said like, oh, you're doing. I did really well. You know, I I I won most of the reps and stuff like that. And then at the end, they have this. Um, we call it natural, but I I don't know what people other people call it. It's like where the coach points and you got to shuffle this way. And then he says, hit it and left. Yeah. And at Rutgers, at Rutgers, yeah. they call it natural too. Yeah. So, so we, the whole team has to do it. And it's like, if everyone does it right, you only have a few. Right. So, um, but they always find one. Yeah. One. They always find a reason for you to go back. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so we're doing that. And I guess on one of, on, I don't know if it was the first one or how many we've done, but, um, the coach is telling us to like go to the left, and I'm going right, and I'm like falling over herself, and everyone's like mad at me at first. Right, like, you asshole! Yeah, yeah you're yeah, such an idiot. Exactly. I was like, what are you doing? Um, Central nervous system going. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. So, um, but our our D coordinator, who was the one who was like doing it, like saw it, and he's like, all right, that's something's wrong right. with this kid. Yeah, yeah, something's wrong with this kid. So he calls the trainer over to uh to get me out of the thing. And they, they pull me out and they put me on this bench, which is like, you know, on the other side of the field. 
And apparently at that point, I'm like freaking out. Like I'm like trying to fight people, um, you know, really being really aggressive uh, with people. And and they're trying to like put IV. We have, you know, the trainers have IVs. They're trying to put IVs and stuff like that. Right. Hydrate me and cool me down. Um, And then I guess they just called 911, which is where the whole real problem started because. Right. You should have been in ice, right? Yeah. Yeah. They should have been icing me I've, I've come to learn and uh yeah they, they they just tried to get me an ambulance as soon as possible took me to the hospital where they don't have ice tubs to cool people they have cooling blankets which you know help but they're not yeah not yeah not gonna be do the same not effect. the gold standard exactly um so you know that really that's really what what caused the further complications down the road um and i and i really like my biggest concern is, is going forward. Like the AD at the university of Miami has told me multiple times how good of a job it was that they got me into the ambulance right away when that was not what they're supposed to be doing. Right. So, you know, that's what I'm really concerned about is like, they didn't, they don't realize they're messing. They're making that they made a mistake. Right. Yeah. But I, I hope that, you know, people listening to this interview can learn from that you know and know did they just not diagnose you with heat stroke like did they think you were just dehydrated well this is this is another thing that they they didn't understand the difference between exertional heat stroke and a classic heat stroke because classic you know is where you're sitting in a car you're not you don't you have you know you don't sweat you have clammy skin or right. whatever but when you're having exertional heat stroke, yeah you're gonna be sweating because you're working out right so you know the the whole time when i got when i kind of come out of the hospital I'm meeting with the coach, and he's like, "Well, you were you were sweating, so there was no way we we would know that there was a heat stroke." Right. And apparently, that's what, what is this, yeah, hey, What does that just, have to do with anything? Yeah. Apparently, yeah, it's just that people don't understand what a heat stroke was, and you're down in Miami, so that's really right. Concerning. So they didn't give you like a a rectal temperature or anything. No, no temperature. My first temperature was in the hospital uh, at 109. So that's ridiculous, right? So. Yeah. Um, what's I forget what the threshold is. Was it like one hundred five point five? You're considered yeah, to have. Yeah, I, I, I think it, it varies. I've heard anything from one hundred four, but what, wait, one hundred four, one hundred five. At some point at that point, yeah, and then the clock starts ticking to right. the thirty minute mark. So, what was kind of the the aftermath of this? Like, what was the the treatment? What kind of obstacles did you have because of this? So, um, at first they they brought me to the the um the hospital on the other side of campus, which is like a really small hospital. And at that point they were trying to just resuscitate me and keep my breathing. I guess I stopped breathing. Um, that's a problem. Yeah. So they had, you know, some, uh, one of the nurses or whoever it was doing it, uh, was, you know, doing the bag to, to bag to valve mask. Yeah. Yes, I had yeah. one of those too. Cause yeah, I wasn't breathing. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, go, I guess that, that was the main thing right then. And then, um, they had realized that my kidneys and liver were failing. Um, and that that hospital was not like equipped for something this, this serious. So they had to transfer me to UMH hospital, which is the university hospital, but that's like 20, 20 to 30 minutes, depending on traffic uptown from where our, our campus is. Um, I just got a stepbrother's moment. This is not the right acoustic environment to ask this yeah. of me. So they had to bring it to a different acoustic environment. Right. Yep, exactly. So, um, 
so yeah, it's it, the uh, doctor's hospital, which is the one near campus. They did, they stabilized me and they sent me to UMH. Um, and from there, they they intubated me and put me in a medically induced coma. Damn. So. Wow. So so how long was your re- <clears throat> excuse me? How long was your recovery um, after all this? I'm assuming you avoided the the transplant, right? Yeah. So I didn't have to have any any organ transplants or anything like that. Um, very very fortunate um so one of the weird weird things that happened was the shoulder i had the surgery on the year prior when i woke up the i couldn't lift it like past if i had my arm straight out from me i couldn't lift it past shoulder height so i couldn't lift it over my my hand over my head um so that was like the, the weirdest thing that i noticed at first was that like um, neurological or was yeah, it? Yeah. So what they end up they end up doing a EMG is what I believe it's called, um, where they do like electric shocks to see what nerves are responding and stuff like that. Right. And the the one said the first time I did it, it was like there was no response, and but they said like the test can be like faulty sometimes right and then i went back like three months later and they said there was a response but my arm still wasn't working um <laughs> okay <laughs> and then just one day um and one day like it just started, randomly worked i remember waking up in the morning and it was hey i did it yeah i don't know i don't know how, how i did it cool uh, it was still really weak but then like i finally could actually do that um that movement so all right so how long did it take you to get back to the field um, it took me from, so February, 2014, all the way to August, 2015. Damn. So that's what a year and a half almost. Yeah. Yeah. So during this time, like how was your, your mental and emotional state in terms of wanting to be back in, in football and. Yeah, I, I was very, you know, distraught because I've, one, you know, I, I knew how close I was and I had that, you know, I felt ripped away from me from this thing. Right. You know? And, you know, I was very mad about that. Um, you know, people taking responsibility and, 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 and stuff like that, that also really just angered me. Um, and then on top of that, when I was in the hospital, I had a, um, a bout of, uh, I think of what it's called exactly, but basically the, the medication, medication induced psychosis from all the anesthesia, I was like hallucinating. Oh wow! Um, what do you remember? What you you hallucinated? Yeah. So the uh, <laughs> the 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 weirder thing that I saw was that I saw like a bunch of dead bodies, like other patients in my room like patient beds i guess right but they were like corpses or skeleton type things <laughs> and um one of the there was a sign on this door and I, I saw the sign actually existed in real life but the writing on it was changed when i was looking at it when i was looking at it it was like you're gonna die but and it was like handwritten but apparently it was just like some like like exit or something something like that on the right. door. Please wash your hands before. Yeah, exactly, the room. something like that. <laughs> but yeah, I was saying like, oh, you're gonna die. And then, um, one of the weirder ones too was like, my eyes were burning, and when I looked at the ceiling, I was like in like this forest where, like, the woods were on fire, 
and like I, you could hear like people shouting or spirits. I don't know what you want to call it, but like shadowy figures off in the distance yelling and screaming, and there's like fire all around you. And I just remember running, like running around the forest, like stuff like that. Were you literally running around the room? Um, I don't. I have no idea. <laughs> but I, I, I do. It's, it's weird because it's like, I mean, like hallucinating for the first time like that, like. Um, yeah, you think it's real, probably. Yeah. yeah, you think it's real. Like, you know, when, when people say that, you're like, oh, like, you know, you think you know you're hallucinating, and you're like, no, it's, it's weird. It's the weirdest feeling in the world. Yeah. Um, I can imagine. I'm, so, I've never experienced that, but yeah, thanks yeah, for it's, it's, thanks yeah. for bringing us into your hallucinations. <laughs> I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Um, all right, so, uh, so what advice do you have for athletes who might be watching their team from the sideline, kind of like you were for almost a year and a half? Like, was there anything that you yeah. did to uh, help those feelings? Um, in that time, I just really – one, I fell back on God and my, and my faith. That was the biggest thing um, personally is, is just getting a better relationship with, with him. So what kind of stuff did you do for that? Um, well, I, I started going to more like Athletes in Action um, – meetings met with our, our team pastor a lot okay uh started reading the bible like uh um reading more devotional stuff and and really i i had hadn't gone to church much since i've came down came down to the university of miami so i actually started going to back to church and, and um to, to a church I'm, I'm catholic and i ended up going to i think a southern baptist church with my uh with our pastor and you know it was just a different experience but it was really good just like you know, kind of renew my, my faith and stuff like that. Awesome. Um, was there like a particular like excerpt that stuck with you or that you kind of live by or? Yeah. Um, I actually got this from, from, from Gavin class who he, I met him at KSI actually. He, I talked with him at, yesterday. Yeah. He was at thousand. It's, it's Philippians four thirteen. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. All right, cool. So, um, yeah, that, that's one of the things, you know, uh, really that, you know, if, if the Bible says that, then I can definitely get back and, and be able to do this. That's that's why I took it. Awesome. Um, so what was it like meeting Gavin? Um, it was, it was really, it was really cool to like be able to share like an experience. And then, you know, like we both went through the same thing. Um, you know, he had a way, way rougher time with the, the transplants and stuff. And, you know, it makes me feel like blessed in that situation. Like, you know, I could have been way worse, you know, right. And, um, and there's someone out there who had it worse than him. So, yeah, exactly. Um, and then, you know, kind of, kind of really like seeing that there's like almost a, a community to this thing because, you know, we both struggled to get back on the field and he wasn't allowed to, to play right again. Um, you know, and I had to fight my way like through, you know, getting cleared and all this, all these hoops to jump through. So, you know, um, just to prove to, to, Really, I mean, I, I through the whole experience, I wanted to prove to, you know, everyone that if you have a heat stroke, you can you can get back on the field. Right. Because um, what what happened to Gavin, I don't think was right. Right. Yeah. Because yeah, he got um, he got cleared by like KSI and yeah. you know his uh, transplant doctor, but the the team doctor at the at Towson wouldn't wouldn't sign off on it. Yeah. Um. All right. So. Do you have any regrets about your decision to train while sick, um, you yeah. know, or like pushing through? Like, I, yeah, the culture of no. toughness comes up a lot yeah, on this podcast. Exactly. So, can you kind of share your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, this is how 
I, I, this is my personal belief about this is, you know, as athletes, we're, we're trained to be tough, resilient, and, and, you know, the whole purpose of training is to be to tougher, be, to be tougher and ignore your, be able to ignore that pain right. and, and put it, push it down. Right. Um, so as athletes, you know, I want to go out there and compete, you know, it's, it's, you know, that's in my blood and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell the trainers how I feel, but it's their decision to pull you out. Um, and you think that, it should be their decision? Like you don't... I think it, I, I think it should be their decision. I mean, if you feel like you want to pull yourself out too. Right, but who's going to do that? Yeah, not many people are going to do that. So that's why it's the – I mean, that's what – otherwise, what do you have athletic trainers for? To tape tape feet and, and then, uh, you know – I used to shorter after the game. Like, yeah, I mean, athlete, a reason yeah. why an athletic trainer saved my life. So yeah. <laughs> I, I try to, I, I, I sing their praises all the time. But yeah. this goes, you know, to show that for athletic trainers out there, you know, coming from two athletes here who would never take themselves out of a game, you know, this might be a thing where you say like, oh, this kid's really not looking too good. He's been throwing up. You know, he's maybe yeah. Let's let's check to see if he has a temperature. Let's yeah, because you're gonna look poorly upon if you take yourself out. And if it's a little different when someone else takes you out and doesn't give you that choice, so yeah, definitely, I, I agree with that. And that and that's you know, I, I would say just personally from my experience down in, in Division One football, it gets even worse, you know, with the pressure and stuff like that. And the whole reason, from what they explained to us, is like the the athletic trainer is supposed to be the liaison between the coach and the player, and he's supposed to be the the, the safeguard because the coach is going to want you to play. You're going to want you to to play and right. the trainer is going to be the one the voice of reason yep. in these situations because they have medical training and all that stuff so that's that's really where, where it should come from all right uh so now that you're back playing football do you ever worry about you know getting heat stroke again or do you do any like take any precautions to you know prevent it from happening again um not not really um the only thing is like dealing with these you know the memories of it and it's almost like a distraction um when you're training and breathing hard and like i, I don't really go back to the heat stroke. i go back to the hospital when i'm on that ventilator right and that that's really what what freaks me out is like i i hate that that ventilator like no other like i know it was saving my life but that was the worst experience of my life right so um yeah, that's really that that's the only thing that freaks me out is when my breathing's heavy and stuff like that but then i just try to push through it and the, as far as the heat goes, I'm not really worried about heat. All right. Um, what are your future goals in football? Um, just be able to, to really fulfill my dream. Um, you know, it's been such a long road, but I've always, I've always wanted to play Division One football. You know, the NFL and stuff like that, I felt if it happens, it happens. But, you know, college football is one of the greatest things, uh, you know, in this country as far as sports goes and, um, being a part of that um, for the most amount of time possible is, is that's what I want to do and being able to achieve as much as I can while doing that. Awesome, man. So so uh, how's it looking for this upcoming season for the, the Miami Hurricanes? Oh, we have a, we have a great team so far. Uh, new coach, uh, Coach Mark Richt from Georgia. He's really great. Um, so the, the new staff is really giving us energy. Um, we have one really good quarterback, Brad Kaya. So, um, really, as far as I go, just just protect the quarterback, and then we'll be all right. Awesome, man. Well, I'm definitely going to be 
uh, a new fan of the the Miami Hurricanes, I'll be rooting for you. Um, all right, so I'm I'm ready to wrap this this thing up here. So if you had to tattoo one word or phrase on your forehead that you had to look at in the mirror every single day, what would it be? Um, never give up. All right. Uh, and then what's your personal definition of perseverance? Um, I, <laughs> just keep swimming I, from, from finding Nemo. I don't know why that, that's always I've, stuck with me. I've gotten that answer like three yeah. or four times. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> I've, I've thought about that multiple times, even when I'm like, even now when I'm working out, like and you're conditioning, you're just like, all right, just keep going. That's all it is. It's like, it's going to end soon. Yeah. You know, whatever you're doing is going to end it's under, the pains are surpassed, so just keep swimming, and and that's that, I, I don't know why I always think of that. Yeah, that's that's perfect. I'm gonna start making like T-shirts with that phrase because yeah, exactly. it comes yeah, up it so really, much. It really should. Yeah. Um. Actually, I forgot to ask you one more question. Have you thought about what you wanted to do after your football career, whether that's you know next year, two years from now, or after a ten-year NFL career? Well, have you thought about what you might want to do afterwards? Yeah. Um. So I'm I'm pursuing right now my my degree. I'm gonna graduate in December. Uh, with my um, uh, BBA in um, economics and a minor in uh, management. And I'm going to go to grad school um, to study um, statistical analysis is, is what I'm, the plan is now, whether or not that changes in the next few months. But that's what I want to do. And then uh, I want to get a job in, like, in, consult- in consulting for business. All right, cool. So... Well, good stuff, Hunter. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy Division One college football schedule uh, to, to talk with me and uh, share your story and, you know, to learn from some of the mishaps that kind of happened in your treatment. And, you know, for people listening to this, they can, you know, help avoid that mistake, those mistakes for, uh, for another athlete. Definitely. I appreciate you giving me a chance to share my story. Awesome, Hunter. I'll, I'll be in touch, man. All right. Sounds good.